Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we're talking with London Bell. London is a lawyer, community organizer, activist, and humanitarian with specific educational training and international human rights law and policy, and international business and trade law. London has focused her career advocating for policy changes on behalf of diverse communities. She's the president and CEO of Bell Global Justice Institute, a non-governmental organization based in Detroit. In January, she joined us here on Collections by Michelle Brown to talk to us about the Bell Global Justice Institute and her work with the National Council of United Nations Association of the United States. Bell Global Justice Institute Detroit focuses on advancing and promoting the international human rights to educate our girls. London is back today to talk about Hi. the International Day of a Girl Child. London, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me back. Well, you know, I, we, we, we sort of touched on some of this like briefly um, back in January, and we said we were going to get back together to talk about the International Day of a Girl Child. Now, I yeah. did my research, and I know that it was started in December 19th, um, 2011 by the mm-hmm. United Nations General Assembly. They adopted mm-hmm. a resolution to declare October 11th as the International Day of a Girl Child to recognize yeah. girls' rights and the unique challenges girls face mm-hmm. around the world. How did you go, you know, people think of UN and they think UN around the world. You and I have talked before about the UNA USA and that there is a Detroit chapter can you tell us yes. how you went from that global to bringing it here to Detroit? And what can, you know, when you think of you and you think of really big issues, what can you do as part of this association here in Detroit? Well, um, uh, the UN Association of Greater Detroit is uh, a fairly new chapter of the United Nations Association of the United States. Uh, there are currently about 180 chapters across the United States uh, right now, and that includes uh, chapters on different college campuses. So we are one, one of 180 chapters, and uh, broader to give a broader uh, explanation of the UNA USA, it is an organization, it is a program of the UN Foundation based in Washington, D.C., and its mission and vision is to uh, raise awareness and build support 
among local American communities around the work of the United Nations. And so that includes um, learning about the workings of the United Nations. It includes meeting with elected officials, members of Congress, to advocate for a strong United Nations, United States partnership. And so the Greater Detroit chapter, like I said, is a relatively new chapter. And um, we're in, uh, let's see, I, came, I became a member, I think, in 2014 of the UNA Detroit chapter. And so what we've done as a chapter is we have been able to bring and organize events in the city of Detroit around the work of the UN. So that's educating local Detroiters about how the UN works, why it's important that we are a member, a member state, why it's important that the United States has its role at the United Nations, how we benefit from that role at the United Nations, and how we can use our voice at the United Nations. Unfortunately, politics has like dribbled over into everything. Do you find that your work is harder or that you feel that your voice to talk about how we be, remain a part of a nation state as part of this, do you find that work is, is harder or even more important or is there a bigger ear? Because, you know, you hear people hear the bigger noise. And many will probably yeah. go like, I know after the election, I heard people go like, well, yeah, they're not paying their fair share. And it's like, no, you need to know all about the UN and find out. So, you know, that people are responding to these, to these sound yeah. bites. How has that affected your work? It has definitely um, made it more difficult. Uh, we have been working even harder as, as, as not only as a local chapter, but as a, uh, as a national association. And yes, uh, in this most recent political climate, a lot of people are, feel very discouraged. They're listening to the news. They're listening to how much we contribute uh, financially to the United Nations, and uh, many people feel like, well, people are not doing their fair share. And I'll give you an example. Uh, as a member state, we are one, one of 193, there are 193 members, uh, member states to the General Assembly, and we, the United States is a member, and we, our budget, our federal budget a lot for us to pay our United Nations dues. And that is that that budget actually covers about twenty two percent of the United Nations budget and all of its agencies. So twenty two percent of the UN budget is covered by the United States. And that's that's a large number, it's a large amount. But if you think about it in a more global perspective, the other part, the huge percentages of that budget is being paid by other countries. So we're paying a large percent, but the rest of the world is also contributing their part. And not only do they contribute their part financially, but they also contribute their part by um, offering UN peacekeepers and, and um, volunteers from their home countries. You know, so that's one of the things that U.S. citizens don't, don't always think about when we're looking at the whole budget. And so that's one of the reasons why it's really important for uh, the UN Association members to get out into the communities and educate local communities about these numbers. You know, I think that for me, I, you know, I sort of like if you look at like, like the globe and, mm -hmm. you know, who benefits from the world, 
And mm-hmm. if you weighted it based on that, you know, whatever you're, you're, you're benefiting, your, what is that, that gross national product, of course, mm-hmm. it seems to me, since this country is huge consumers, they've got their mm-hmm. footprint that, you know, but it would be sort of weighted like that. I wouldn't expect, you know, yeah. a small country to be held as, as responsible as, like, the United States. I mean, so in some ways, it makes sense. And like you said, they're giving, like, peacekeepers. They're doing all yes. these other things, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, the one thing I like to ask folks when I'm talking, doing workshops and talking to local citizens in Detroit and other uh, communities, I ask people how much of the fe- our federal budget you know, do they assume we are, you know, we are giving away to humanitarian needs? And people throw out large numbers. Uh, mm. I've heard 20%, 30% of our federal budget, uh, but it's actually less than 1% of our federal budget is actually earmarked for humanitarian aid assistance. And, and so it's a very small number compared to what people think we're actually doing. And I think a lot of it is just information, misinformation in the media and just assumptions and just not being as educated about what the UN does and what other international aid organizations do to assist. Do you have people ever come up to you and go like, um, really go negative, like, what's in it for me? You know, you know basically, yeah. you know, like, well, we're just giving that money. What, how, do, how do we benefit from this participation? Yes, absolutely. And I, and I, and, and, and I have an answer for that because I, one of the things that, that the UNA USA is really good about is not only getting members active, but also doing policy training and other types of trainings to educate us on how our role at the United Nations uh, has, impacts the rest, the rest of the United States population. And so then that generally happens through our sister organization, the Better World Campaign. They do policy work and advocacy work on Capitol Hill. Every year they release a congressional briefing booklet uh, that entails all of this information on how the U.S. benefits from the work of the United Nations. One of the things that I like to explain to people is that, first of all, the United States was one of the founding members of the United Nations after World War II. We helped start this global organization in partnership with other countries that wanted to ensure that countries work together in the future generations. So that's number one. We helped to start this organization. One of our first ladies, Eleanor Roosevelt, actually uh, participated in drafting the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. Okay? Mm. And not only does do we have a standing leadership position at the United Nations? We are a permanent member of the UN Security Council. So we have strong veto power on the UN Security Council. Our partnership with the United Nations helps us to advance our interests worldwide. We can't be everywhere all the time. And we have our particular values and morals and standards. And, and, and so that because we can't be everywhere in the world all the time, we have the United Nations as a partner 
to help advance those interests, those morals, those values around the world. And the stronger that partnership, the stronger our values and morals are advanced around the world. And, and that is a very key component to why we, we should continue to be a leader, continue to be a member, and how we benefit. We can't be everywhere, and we, there are competing interests. There are competing uh, governments like China and Russia that also have their interests and values that they're trying to advance. So the stronger our partnerships, the stronger we are advanced around the world, the stronger our interests are protected. And that's what Americans don't always think about. Mm. So you've been to the United Nations. When you went there, that body, how are they, how receptive are they to you? Or, you know, like, do they see that you are, like, almost like on the ground work to, to do this explanation of the work of the UN? And, you know, how receptive were they to you when you got there? You know, do they recognize the benefit of what you're doing? Well, to explain further about my trip to the United Nations, every year one of the benefits of becoming a member of UNA USA, and particularly our Detroit chapter, is that every year UNA USA organizes what's called Members Day at the United Nations. And that gives uh, Americans an opportunity to travel to the United Nations to sit. This past year, we were able to actually be in the UN General mm-hmm. Assembly Hall to get an idea of what it's like uh, to to be in that room. And, and we also had a chance to hear speakers. We heard from two members of the UN Security Council. We heard from young people. And so it was it was a visit. It was a chance for us to actually see the UN, see the UN General Assembly Hall, and to hear from people around the world who are, who are on the ground doing the work on behalf of the UN, such as UN Security Council members. What was significant about our trip, um, my mom also came with me, uh, what was significant about our trip to the United Nations is that this, is, this was the largest gathering of American citizens at the United Nations ever. There were about, I would say, I think they said up to nearly 2,000 people actually traveled to attend Members Day. And so what that does is it not only shows our commitment to the work of the United Nations, once press releases go out, once we come back home and go into communities to talk to our elected officials in district, it shows our our leaders, American leaders, how important this is to Americans and why we are committed to ensuring that the United States is working very closely with the UN, which is something that has been challenged a lot, at least in the past year. One of the things, and I know that one of your passions is about advancing and promoting the international human rights uh, to education for girls. And, you know, we started talking about the International Day of a Girl Child. And one of the things that that it it focuses on, the need to address the challenges of girls that face. And I know that, um, you know, they say this, 1.1 billion girls are part of a Mm -hmm. large and vibrant global generation. And Mm -hmm. let's start, like, globally and then bring Mm -hmm. it down because we know that as you, you know, 
this right for for young girls to be educated. I mean, you have a Nobel Peace Prize winner who was shot. Yes. Over education, and but not only she has continued. Malala has continued to raise her voice on other issues of human rights. So we know that as we invest and engage in educating and taking care of our our young girls so that they can grow into being women, it it betters the world. I know the theme Mm -hmm. of this year's uh, International Day of the Girl is Girls' Progress Equal Goals' Progress, What Counts for Girls. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about the bigger picture of why the importance of an International Day of a Girl Child and that commitment to promoting this human right? Yes, um, yes. What, uh, what's been really important, uh, the United Nations General Assembly came together, like you said, in 2011 and uh, adopted UN Day of the Girl, and the first Day of the Girl was in October of 2012. This has been a really strong and important movement toward ensuring girls' human rights globally because girls have a very unique set of barriers and challenges uh, in their lives when they are striving to pursue success in all areas of life, health, you know, human rights, and particularly education. And I think the, the world is starting to see how girls are disproportionately impacted by issues, global issues that we are all familiar with, but don't always think about how girls are particularly impacted. And I'm, I'm happy that Day of the Girl is, is a global movement, and what I'm trying to do in the city of Detroit is work alongside partners that build that momentum here in the city as well, uh, because we have to not only acknowledge the barriers and challenges that girls experience, but also the triumphs, the successes, and the, the motivation that young girls have to, and to, they work hard on behalf of not only their own rights, but the rights of other girls as well. And that's why this day is, is so important. This day is important, and also, it, to me, it follows along in conjunction with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which were developed and adopted <clears throat> in 2015, and they went into they went into action in 2016. These 17 development goals are to be achieved by the year 2030, and and many of those goals have overarching themes that that uh, aim to promote and advance the rights of women and girls. Mm-hmm. So in addition to Day of the Girl, what we're also working with are the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And so this movement is very strong and very powerful globally, and we are trying to ensure that locally it's also moving mm-hmm. forward. Okay. All right, we're going to take our, our first break. Then I want to come back and talk a little bit more about that and bring it from the global to the local. So with that, we will be right back. My guest today is London Bell, and we are talking about the International Day of the Girl Child. 
We'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back with London Bell. Um, You know, London, one of the things that you hear, especially um, when you think about girls, because you, you know, you hear, you, you know, it's easy for people to see, you know, like that little girl who's maybe not Mm -hmm. eating. But one of the things I think that especially when they talked about the school girls that had been taken away by Boca Raton, and when they came back, you know, many of them were now mothers. And yes. some of them who are ostracized by their own communities, but the reality is that they are still girls. I mean, and it's yes. almost like they were victimized by this, and here they are again, and they're being forced being treated like women, mm-hmm. when in fact there's part of them that are still girls. It's a, yes. and, and that goes along across all many conflict areas where the raping of young girls and mm-hmm. is is a reality. Yes. When you talk about the International Day of the Girl, are we we thinking about these girls who have been victimized this way and who now have to juggle both roles as parents but still maybe want to get their education, are dealing with hunger, dealing with poverty? Yes. Yes, absolutely we are. Absolutely. In fact, uh, the the theme, uh, girls' progress equal goals' progress, is is in is in um, in action until the new day of the girl, which takes place on October 11th of this year. So it's a one year uh, theme. And so last year, we uh, the theme girls' progress equal goals' progress talks about collecting data and understanding the needs of girls in order to fulfill these goals. This year's uh, theme, which was just released, and it's uh, on the UNICEF website, which will start on October 11th of this year, is Empower Girls Emergency Response and Resilience Planning. And it speaks to what you're talking about because the issue of conflict and, and uh, issues of terrorism and what happened with Boko Haram, with the kidnappings, uh, human trafficking and natural disasters and refugees, uh, the refugee crisis, preparing girls, empowering girls, and supplying girls with, with what they need before, during, and after a crisis is really important. So particularly with um, the example you brought up with Boko Haram, um, Part of what what needs to happen now is ensuring that these girls feel empowered 
and and ensuring that the assistance they that they need is um, is gender appropriate, gender gender responsive, and and ensuring that they have access to their education because this this has happened to them. They have been returned back to their homes with an entire different life experience, a, a very traumatic experience. And it's important that they are empowered through their education so that they can grow, so that they can develop their voice, and so that they can prepare themselves to be independent um, and financially so that they can work, so that they can, you know, rebuild. And so the STEAM is really important when it comes to talking about girls in their exact situation. And, and I think the attention hasn't been focused enough on what happens during these times of, of tra- trauma. And, and that's why this theme is so important right now at this very moment. Now, you know, some people, and, and, and we've sort of talked about it, but when you think about, they think, international uh, day of the girl child, and they are thinking about those young women. They're thinking mm-hmm. about Malala, who was shot trying to get educated. They're seeing those pictures of uh, the children without the food and, they are seeing mm-hmm. that, and many people can't equate that to here because, you know, yeah. we, have this, we have this in our mind that we are just the greatest country, you know, mm-hmm. in the world. But, you know, there are young girls not only here in Detroit and Chicago and New York who, who often seem to go through war zones mm-hmm. get just to get mm-hmm. to school. Um, we ha- do have, uh, you know, we don't, you know, I can't quote figures on what the, the child birth rate is, but we still have it. I mean, we still have people, young girls right here yeah. who are going hungry at night. Yes. Yes. And not to mention trafficking, you know. Yes. So uh, how do you, I mean, and I know that this is part of what, what you're doing here, mm-hmm. but how do you get people to sort of see that the parallels, it might not be a country at civil war or what you're, you're looking at, that lens that you've seen of that third world country, but we're looking right here of some things that are coming in. How do you get them to sort of see that when you talk about International Day of the Girl Child, we're talking about our little girls, our young women right here in this country? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so... Part of this theme, well, this theme, uh, emergency response and resilience planning, empowering girls during times of conflict and natural disaster. The first thing that I thought about when I read this theme is the hurricanes that have happened uh, in parts of the South and how it has displaced, you know, many families lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their transportation, a lot of families were separated um, and had to go into shelters. And these are, these are states. This is Florida. This is Texas. You know, this is, you know, other parts of the country that have had previous disasters, but, you know, really bad hurricanes. So think about it. Here at home in the United States, you have these um, natural disasters that have happened. You have families that are trying to get to safety, you have families that have been displaced, have lost their homes, and are now in shelters, okay? Think about this. Think about how this impacts 
girls. Disproportionately, girls and women are always disimpacted um, by these types of situations. Now think about girls being out of school, not able to attend school, boys too. Now think about girls possibly not having access to menstrual uh, hygiene products, you know, not having access to, you know, clothing, not having access to food. And this is in the United States while they're waiting on assistance mm-hmm. to come in from the federal government or from donations. And then if there is chaos, if, there's not, if, if things are not organized, you know, to the T during these times in our own home country, our women and girls are vulnerable to being um, open to violence, attack, sexual assault. They're vulnerable. We are vulnerable during these times of natural disaster and uncertainty in our home country. And how, that, that is just really no different than what happens when there's a natural disaster in China or Indonesia or Australia. Women and girls are vulnerable then. And so when I'm talking to people about understanding how these issues impact girls at home, I'm talking, about, I'm talking to them about recent events. That, that have happened. One of my biggest concerns as I've been watching the, uh, <clears throat> the hurricanes in Puerto Rico and in Texas and Florida, you know, the safety of girls, the vulnerability of girls. Um, when people are making donations, are they making donations um, for girls to have, make sure they have access to, um, to supplies, to, you know, um, for menstrual, for their menstrual um, cycles every month. And that's the thing that people, those are the things that people don't think about. And that's the connection to me. When you, when you talk to schools sometimes, do you think that um, is our education system, are they responsive to, do they recognize the dangers that sometimes girls are going through just to get there? Or is there some type of a counseling thing to recognize if, you know, here this young girl, maybe she's not eating properly. She's Mm -hmm. coming to school Mm -hmm. hungry or she's going through, you know, God knows what, where she's unsafe just to get to school. And that that could be affecting her grades. And, you know, we have talked about, like, if someone drops out of school, if a young girl drops Mm -hmm. out of school, her opportunities of getting back in and being successful are really steep. Yeah. I mean, it's really difficult. Are schools thinking about young girls outside of just, you know, uh, testing scores? Personally, I, I don't think so. I think that there is a lot of opportunity for more dialogue and more work to be done to ensure that schools and parents and the system understand the vulnerability of girls and how it does impact their education, not only their education but their self-esteem, their feelings of self-worth, and their potential to, to be successful in life. And I don't think that there is enough support for girls, particularly in Detroit and surrounding communities, to ensure that, that we all understand how these barriers impact them. And, and going, going even further to include even girls with disability, special needs, you know, and that's one of the, the things that the UN is concerned about <clears throat> uh, globally 
And what we're concerned about locally is not only, uh, you know, ensuring that they have their education, but ensuring that there is a quality education and a safe space for every girl, no matter her culture, no matter her ability, every girl. And yes, that journey on the way to school, and, and I'm always concerned every year around this time, fall of the year, in Detroit neighborhoods and in different counties around the, around the area, I'm always hearing about young girls um, being vulnerable and something happen, happening to them on the way to school. And that even happens on college campuses. With, with young women. And it's, it's just that time of the year where school starts back and it just seems like women and girls are even more vulnerable during this time. And I've not heard a lot of talk about how to really uh, prevent that, and I'm hoping that that's something that, that can be done because that is a very serious, I mean, it could keep children from feeling safe to even go to school. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, kids get it you know um do you find you know when you're you're looking at things and you're comparing detroit and our urban areas to this global picture just mm-hmm. like um how malawa was able to understand about education and then and equate it to what's happening to girls everywhere and other things kids get it do you ever find yeah. like in your conversations with young people that they get it and they are saying you know like how come our systems aren't getting it to do for us because we're suffering just like girls throughout the globe? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I've had two experiences where I have had an opportunity to talk with young people. Uh, Last November at Alternatives for Girls, I showed the film Girl Rising to a group of young girls, middle school, high school, and they literally watched Girl Rising is about is a film about nine different girls from around the world who um, tell, the, tell the rest of the world about their barriers and challenges to accessing their education. And the girls in the room, you could hear a pin drop in the room during this film. They were so focused, and the reason is because the girls in the film and the girls in the room were about the same age. Mm -hmm. And after that film, I heard so much passion and, and so much, they were very engaged. They were angry. They were ready to do something and, and they could see themselves in these young girls. And, and that meant a lot to me to, to, to be a part of this because Listening to children express their discontent with the state of things is very powerful because, see, they have, they have the power. And I, two of the girls even decided that they were going to start their own organization, mm. you know, to, 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 to fight for girls' rights. They were really, really into it, and they told me how they felt, and they told me, you know, how they felt about writing the president, and it was just a very powerful moment. So, yes, they, they seem to just understand and get it, and their reaction is very, very powerful. And then uh, several months later, I had an opportunity to do a training with a group of young high school students, high school boys from Cass Tech. I think they were 10th and 11th graders, 
and it was right around International Women's Day. So we talked about global goal number five, which is uh, equality, gender equality under the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And again, we talked about the United Nations, and we talked particularly about women's rights, girls' rights, and they were really fired up. You know, and, and for them, for these young men, they're concerned about their sisters. They're concerned about mm-hmm. their mom, their grandmom, you know, their aunties. And they all, when I asked those men, those young men, were they, did they support gender equality? And overwhelmingly, I got a yes. And they wanted to know how they could get involved in this movement too. And these are all kids that I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's very encouraging to know that they not only questioned, because they had a lot of questions in both sec- um, both situations, they had a lot of questions. They demanded a lot of information, and I loved it. You know, now you know so they're very conscious. Now, you know, you, you've talked to people at the UN, and you said that you also be, I mean, you're able to talk to our legislators here. Mm-hmm. Do they hear when you're telling them that, you know, you sat down with young people and young people have these questions, are they hearing you? Yes. Yes, they are. Yes. Um, and and it's, it's depending on who we're talking to. Um, we have, you know, of course, um, we have some members of Congress that are uh, very conservative and need, uh, to me, um, to spend more time with trying to talk with them about these issues and how they impact our young people here at home. And, but the dialogue is open on both sides. And, and so what, what our goal is at the UNA USA and of Greater Detroit is to continue that dialogue and be persistent with that dialogue and to ensure uh, our members of Congress that this is something that we are very serious about and very concerned about. One of the things that um, I've learned as being a member of UNA USA is that we are actually really the only group in the United States. There's about 22,000 members. We're the only organization that is really advocating for that, for that strong US-UN partnership. So, and before we come into the room to meet with members of Congress, we often take a few minutes to just educate them about what's going on at the UN because I don't think, I don't know if it's really in the forefront of everyone, you know, all the time. Yes, they are listening, um, but what we want them to do is to continue to listen and continue to to pledge their support. And that takes, you know, cultivating those relationships, taking time, and that's what we're doing. Can you uh, point to something that you feel particularly good about where, where through this process where you saw the needle move a little? The needle move a little? Is that with... Um... As, as far as understanding, hearing the importance of where maybe you saw even some type of legislation, some type of funding, some type of, of movement on, be, on behalf of the establishment, whether it be the education, maybe it's in legislature, where, you know, after you've done this, then you've gone like, mm-hmm. okay, this moved one step closer yeah. to, to where we want to be. Yes, actually, um, 
one of the things that we do every year as um, UNA USA members is we gather in Washington, D.C. every June, and we have a, uh, a lobby day. And what was really significant about this past June is that there were 300 of us um, that traveled to Capitol Hill, and we literally met with half of Congress to advocate for that strong U.S.-U.N. partnership, particularly paying our U.N. dues. Paying our dues to the United Nations is really a very vital component of our advocacy so that these programs can be successful. And I just learned recently that one of our members of Congress, um, Representative Dave Trott, um, mm-hmm. he, uh, Michigan, he representing Michigan, actually voted no recently on a bill to reduce funding uh, to the United Nations and to reduce support to the United Nations. So he voted no. And so Mm -hmm. that was a real, really big deal. And, And we're actually going to be setting up some time to meet with his office in district, uh, and talk with him and thank him for that, for that vote, because that shows us that he's listening. That shows us that, you know, our work is, really getting through and that we're making a difference when members of Congress are, are supporting the work of the UN by ensuring that they're not reducing support. So, yeah, that, that's an example. Great now, do you, you know, one of the things that you hear more and more and people are saying how they really need to have uh, more women in the legislature, you know, not only federally, but locally. And I know that once I was talking with Danielle Atkinson, and she was Mm -hmm. talking about how she was in um, Lansing, and they were advocating for things for for women, particularly for mothers, and she Mm -hmm. had to change her baby, and there were no changing tables in in the state capitol and by she was talking to be talking to a woman legislature and just that simple thing that they were able to connect and Mm -hmm. and magic happened do you find that sometimes when you go in and you talk to women legislators that there's a way that you're able to pull them back to really connect with and make help them become better advocates for our girls yes Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> recently, we met with the staff of Senator Debbie Stabenow and in Detroit, and it, for that reason, it was it was a wonderful meeting. It was an exchange of ideas and energy, and I I do feel like that that understanding is is even deeper with uh, women in uh, state and federal legislator. Yeah, legislation legislative. Um, yes, absolutely. Now, they say that there continues to be a gap on data about girls and young women. What yeah. is being done to, to to help collect that? And, you know, not only globally, but here in the metro Detroit area. So, I mean, because I'm sure that there's some areas where you were, if you were to walk in and you talked about things that were happening with girls, they go, well, not in our neighborhood. Our neighborhood is fine. But yeah. probably right in their neighborhood 
if there was a way to gather some statistics, they would see that there were challenges to young girls. What's, how is that gathering, that mechanism going as far as gathering statistics to sort of make that case that we need to be really mindful and vigilant about protecting and lifting up our daughters? Well, I'm not sure on the uh, process of the information gathering. What I can say is that some of the reasons why the gathering hasn't been as effective um, or hasn't actually happened is funding is one of the bigger biggest issues. Um, ensuring that there's funding available and ensuring that it's safe for uh, organizations, individuals to enter into certain circumstances to gather information. Those are two of two really big uh, barriers to actually gathering that information. And so the UN this year, uh, this past year, and then this next year, that will be the focus on ensuring that the gathering of information is more effective, that it's um, safely done, and that it's ethically done. So that's information that I, I could share with you definitely as, uh, as, as I learn it. So if you had to come up with an elevator pitch for Congressman Jones and mm -hmm. he would say to you, well, London, you know, why should I be concerned about putting money towards this one? I have to, like, cut taxes or, you know, all these other issues. Why should this funding to do this for girls? I mean, girls are all right. I've got two daughters. They're fine. Why? Mm -hmm. What would be your elevator pitch to him as to what are the, the benefits of this investing in our girls? Yes. Hmm. I would say investing in girls is not only investing in that girl in particular, it's investing in a community and in a nation. And when we have a nation that is healthy and, and whole and safe for girls and women, we have a nation that is powerful. We have a nation that is working toward peace and security around the world. That would be part of my pitch. Oh, I think that's a really good pitch. <laughs> I think that's a really good pitch. And I'm going to let people think on that for a minute while we take our next break. And then I want to talk a little bit about what you've got going on here in the area in the near future. So okay. we'll be right back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with our guest, London Bell. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode.
10, we're back with London. London, I mean, you know, I know that last year you did something around girls. I know mm-hmm. you've shown films. Um, mm-hmm. You've talked about some of the, the other things. Um, can we talk about some of the many things that you are doing as part of the UN Association and then lead us into the event you have coming later on this month? Sure, sure. So uh, we have two, I have two major events going on, and I'll start with, because the, uh, the one that's coming up is International Day of the Girl through uh, Bell, Glo- Bell Global Justice Institute. Actually, what I'm, I'm really excited because Bell Global Justice Institute has just become a collaborative, collaborative partner with Wayne County Community College District. And so we're working closely with Wayne County Community College, WC3B, and um, addressing issues, global issues, and particularly around girls. And so on October 11th at Mm -hmm. Wayne County Community College District in Detroit, at its Detroit uh, site, we are going to have the International Day of the Girl event. And it's the actual day of the UN Global Day if I said that right. So mm-hmm. around the world on the same day, Day of the Girl is going to be commemorated. And I'm really excited to be in Detroit with WC3D to, to have this event. And what's going to happen at this event, it starts at 4 o'clock at the downtown campus, uh, 1001 West 4th Street. We're going to follow along with the theme of this year's International Day of the Girl which is Empower Girls, Emergency Response, and Resilience Planning. And we're going to have a wonderful panel of professionals talk about um, empowering girls during conflict and natural disaster from different perspectives. So we're going to have, uh, and I can tell you the the panel members, uh, Andrea Mm -hmm. Rowe is one of the Mm -hmm. panel members. She is a board member of Bell Global Justice Institute. She's also a social worker at Beaumont Hospital in Troy. Mm -hmm. And she focuses a lot of her work on emergency room trauma. And she works with psychiatric uh, patients coming through the emergency room as a social worker. So she's going to talk about the... um, the impact girl of the impact of girls when coming through the emergency room in need of medical and mental health services during times of trauma. And so that that's going to be a very important part. And then we're going to have Dr. Vicki Golden and she is an educator and she works with the uh, Southfield Public School District. Mm-hmm. Um, as a mentor to young girls and she will be talking about education and young girls and what are some of the challenges in Southfield and other um, communities as girls are trying to access their education, what we talked about earlier. And we're going to have Deb Drennan from Freedom House Detroit. Freedom House Mm -hmm. is a temporary shelter uh, for refugees seeking asylum in the United States. Deb Drennan is the executive director of Freedom House Detroit, and she is going to be on our panel talking about the refugee crisis, the global refugee crisis and girls, and refugee resettlement in the United States and girls, how it impacts girls. So it's going to be a wonderful panel, and we're going to have 
several videos from the United Nations on Day of the Girl and the Global Goals. We're also going to have uh, coffee from a new business that's popping up uh, by my mom, Pamela Alexander. She's developing a coffee shop called Cafe Ruby. And she's going to have mm-hmm. different coffees from around the world. So we're going to have coffee from around the world. We're going to have global thinkers in the room, and we're going to have a panel addressing these issues of empowering girls during conflict and natural disaster. And we're going to have a question and answer session so that the community can learn more, not just from these individuals on our panel, but learn more on how to specifically get involved, the action part, mm-hmm. you know. So that's, that's a very important part about these events that I like to ensure that people walk away understanding their part, their role, the action. So that's, that's, uh, that's Bell Global Justice Institute, and it's, it's event next Wednesday, October 11th. And okay. then on October 22nd, I'm also very excited because we're having United Nations Day in Detroit. And United Nations Day is, is a very important day. It, it's, uh, it's officially recognized on October 24th, and that is the anniversary. This year will be the 72nd anniversary of the signing of the U.N. Charter. Mm-hmm. And so we're celebrating in Detroit. Um, there's a celebration going on around the world, and we are a part of that global community. So we'll be in Detroit on October 22nd at the International Institute at 3 o'clock. And we've got a lot of great things happening that day. We are going to have a, a, a very impressive uh, theater company, the Castle Theater Company. And these are young people. These are our Detroit young people are going to be performing. I saw them perform in a play uh, recently at their theater company, and they are amazing. So we're going to have them perform. We're going to have a speaker from the United Nations Foundation speak on the global goals. And then we're going to have a panel discussion. We're going to have a panel discussion about water rights, global goal number six, access to water and sanitation. We're going to have Representative Stephanie Chang of District 6 in Detroit. Mm -hmm. We're going to have Professor Hammer of Wayne State University School of Law. And we're also going to have Emily Coutil from the We the People of Detroit. And we're going to talk about water rights and water shutoffs, and, and, and access to water for local Detroiters. What that means, what we're doing, and we're going to have resources available, information available for anyone that is in need of resources on finding out water rights and access to water. So we're going to have a really, it's going to be a packed day, but it's going to be a day uh, of a lot of information. It sounds like it, and I will have both of those events up there. You know, and I think that I like how both of those sort of like bring it close to home. But Mm -hmm. um, as you, and and that's really important, how as you, you bring it close to home and people are thinking about it then, will you then have a way to keep on people's minds some things that maybe we should be thinking about as we look to, I mean, I look at Houston and you see, in fact, I heard an interview with a woman who she and her children had been 
evacuated from Hurricane Katrina to Houston, and here they were again, you know, going through that, having lost everything. And she talked about what that meant to her children, a couple of them with daughters. Then when we look at what's happening in some parts of Florida, which we're not hearing about, um, we're seeing so much with Puerto Rico. Um, Mm -hmm. We know where the Virgin Islands has happened, but we still have things that are happening in other parts of the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we do look at, you know, recognize that some of this stuff is happening right here. But then Mm -hmm. how then do you see the role of the UN associations across the country of bringing Mm -hmm. people back to say, not just worry about, I mean, it's important that we recognize that we're part of this global community and we have these global challenges. Our girls have these same challenges, but then also to keep them focused on so that when you go back up to D.C. and you're talking about that budget and they're saying, well, you know, what do you want? Do you want it in Detroit or do you want it in, you know, someplace else? How do you to get those voices behind you to where we all are thinking about it as a global community and yeah. that these are our global daughters who will go mm-hmm. up and, and be women and hopefully change the world as we see it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. <clears throat> a couple of things I think about and a couple of messages that I that we as a group um, try to continue to get to get out to the communities. First of all, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, those 17 goals that are aimed to end extreme poverty, to end hunger, to create jobs, to protect the environment, that is a commitment that the United States also participated in. All 193 member states voted to adopt these goals. Okay? And so that means that the United States is responsible for fulfilling, for fulfilling those goals here at home, okay? So one of the things that I like to impress upon people is that you're doing the work already. These local organizations, local community leaders, churches, you know, neighbors, people who are reaching out to each other during times of disaster and, and uncertainty in our communities, this is, this is where the work is being done. So local people, the, actually our theme for UN Day this year is global goals, local leaders. And this is understanding and recognizing the local efforts of U.S. citizens working to fulfill these UN Sustainable Development Goals here at home. And so that is an important component for people to understand because what I want people to understand is that we're all simultaneously working towards these goals around the world. So young women and girls and young brothers in Kenya and in Australia and in Vietnam are also working on these goals as we are here at home. That's how we continue to be a part of this global community. And again, when we're talking about going to Congress and bringing these stories to Congress, there, to me, there's no, there's, no, there's no choice of being at home or abroad. It's all one because our voice at the UN is, is, is in leadership. And like I was saying before, our interests, our American interests 
are advanced and promoted through the UN in places that we can't be. Our military cannot be deployed in every spot in the world, okay? Our, our local organizations can't be deployed. Our humanitarian aid can't be deployed in every part of the world. But our interests are still being promoted and advanced through the UN, through our membership through the UN, and that helps to protect our peace and security here at home. So it, comes, it, it goes global, but it always comes back home. And the average person uh, may or may not understand that our relationships with other countries are dependent on that relationship also with the UN. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very important. So when we go to Congress, when we talk about these issues, we're talking about things that we know Congress is on the forefront of members of Congress's mind, such as security, national security, you know, uh, peace within our own country, peace abroad, because peace abroad does impact what happens here at home, just like conflict abroad impacts what happens here at home. And this is what they're thinking about. Now, you know, you wear two hats. I mean, we've been talking yeah. about the UN Association, but you also have the Bell Global Justice Institute. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of the work that you do is inspired by and in the name of your brother, who was a Marine. And I know Mm -hmm. that I think that many people think of people who are in the armed services, you know, they think of them as combatants, you Mm -hmm. know, we're going over there in the raging war. But there is that component that when people go over and Mm -hmm. they're they're goodwill ambassadors and they see this firsthand, you spent a Mm -hmm. good time with the Marines, recently with Marine Week. Do, mm-hmm. When you talk to them, do you bring up some of these these um, concerns about what they're seeing, what's happening with girls, to where they see, wherever they are, that they see that that's their little sister and they find a way to be protective of that? And does it, your voice have, on these issues, have a greater weight with them because of the work of a Bell Global Justice Institute and it's... And, its background. Yes, yes, I, I absolutely think so. I am a Gold Star sister. Um, my brother, Staff Sergeant Vincent Bell, was killed in action on November 30th, 2011. He spent 10 and a half years in the United States Marines, and he traveled the globe. He saw things. He saw a lot of things traveling around the world in different communities that he often told us about. And they were devastating stories about fellow global citizens trying to support their families. And um, I do see our members, I saw my brother as an ambassador, goodwill ambassador, and, you know, many members of the military, all of our members are ambassadors on behalf of the United States. And I think people <clears throat> automatically assume that, you know, our service members are just fighters, are, you know, they're just to protect us, and, but that's not true. They, they, have, they have an immense amount of humility. Many of the Marines I have met are quite sensitive to these issues. They have their own daughters at home. They have their sons at home. They have their own families. So when they travel abroad, 
I know that they think of their own families when they see what other families are going through in these conflict zones that they're in. So for many of them, you don't even have to convince them that these issues are important to address. Many of them already know that based on what they've already seen, you know, and and so that makes that makes the work easier. And my brother was, he was an amazing, outstanding Marine. He was a leader. He trained many Marines that are now deployed around the world. Uh, but he was also a mentor to young people. He has a half a dozen uh, godsons, goddaughters, nieces and nephews that he has mentored. And so children, mentoring children and young people with his passion as well. And that's one of the reasons why I named Bell Global Justice Institute in his honor, because I know how he felt about um, mentoring young girls and young boys um, and ensuring their self-esteem and their feelings of self-worth being high, you know. But, yeah, members of the military are much, they're very in tune with what's going on globally. I've had conversations with several Marines and Marine veterans, you know, about these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and often, like, they're the first people might, they're going to see them, you know. They're going to, mm-hmm. they're responding to disasters, they're responding to conflict, and, you know, they have that mindset to rec- that we recognize and that they recognize them when we go into an area that, you know, they're not just there to make war, they're also there about peace. Yes, so. yes. Mm-hmm. And that is a part of their, you know, that is definitely a part of what they do. They are there to, you know, protect us, to fight on our behalf, and they're also there to, you know, ensure that their com- the community that they're in, um, people are safe as well. Now, so, for you, for for UNA Detroit, is there mm-hmm. a youth component, or even for Bell Global Justice, is there a youth component? So, some of these young leaders who you're talking to, who you are meeting, who are that that coming up leadership, is there a youth component? Is there a way they can plug in and get involved? Yes, actually there is, and it's it's still a growing component for UNA USA uh, and for Bell Global. But for UNA USA, um, the national chapter actually has a program called Gen UN, and that allows for young people uh, under the age of 25 to actually become a member for free mm. as a young professional or as a student. And so all they have to do is go to unausa.org, and um, go to Gen UN, the area for for uh, Generation UN, and register mm-hmm. and and actually choose our chapter as, mm-hmm. as a membership. Within the UN chapter, Detroit chapter, we do have um, a young professional chair. Uh, her name is Magdalena Jakowski, and she will be working along with other board members to develop that youth component. As as uh, as we move forward, because we do have a young, a lot of young people who are members of Genuine in Detroit, and so we're going to be developing that leadership component. We're actually giving out a uh, leadership award to a, a young girl 
uh, on October 22nd for UN Day. Her name is Caitlin Plummer. She, she will be receiving our Youth Humanitarian Award. So, yeah, we're in the works for developing that in Detroit. And for Bell Global Justice Institute, the same. The same. Mm-hmm. I'm still working on developing programs, and a youth component will be one of those programs. One of the things I'm looking forward to doing with our young people are advocacy workshops through Bell Global Justice Institute. Yeah. I mean, that would be that would be really great. That's something that, you know, like I said, because they want to do things. Like you said, at the end of that, that one thing, they were like, they had questions, they wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And here is a pathway for them, for them to, to do that. Well, yes. London, I, I want to thank you for being with us. I am going to post both of your events. Um, they'll be up even, you know, so that people will know. And will there be a link on how, right, both of those events are free. Uh, Do there you are need them to on, register? Uh, no, it, uh, we have events, those events listed on Eventbrite. Um, mm-hmm. However, there's no need to register. Just come on by. Um, if you're able to register, we would love that, but if not, don't worry about it. Just come on by. Both events are free and open to the public, and all are welcome. Now, if they don't aren't able to come, if someone's listening, mm-hmm. they're going like, "Gee, I'd love to come, but I can't make it." But I want to become more involved. What's the best way for that to happen? What's the best way for them to contact you? I I would love I would welcome people to contact me. Even if you can't come to either of these events, you can contact me at London at BellGlobalJustice.org. London at BellGlobalJustice.org. And I would be happy to talk with folks, meet with folks. Uh, I'm always open to coming to um, people's organizations or groups, churches, to do uh, workshops and to just give out information about what we're doing at both organizations. Yeah, I mean, I could see how great it would be like if you went to, if like each school or each organization, and then they would connect, have a link with, like one young girl would have a link with another young girl, and pretty soon we would have a global network. And I just yes. imagine, you know, the energy yeah. and the power. I mean, that would just be like so, so phenomenal. Yes. Well, London, I, again, I want to thank you for being with us. I will definitely see you. I know I'm going to be, I might be out of town for one of the events, but I will definitely be at one and try to be at both. I okay. thank you for the for the work that you do. Oh, well, thank you. On thank so you for many the work levels. that you do. <laughs> thank you for uh, what you do. And uh, I appreciate, I really appreciate the, the opportunity to speak with you today. It means a lot to me. Well, you know, if nothing else, come next October, we'll be back talking about the day of our girl children. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you again, London. And like I said, I will see you in the very near future. Okay. Thank you. You have a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I hope that you will, again, if you want to contact London, um, I'm going to give you the web address for Bell Global Justice, which is www.bellglobaljustice.org. I will have links to that. Her events will be on October 11th at Wayne County Community College District downtown on the Day of the Girl Child, and then again on October 22nd 
for UN Day in Detroit, and I will have the link. To, oh, it's going to be at the International Institute and the New Center area down there by the DIA. I hope that you can attend and join and be a part of this global community, lifting up, caring for, and loving all of our girls. That's it tonight for Collections by Michelle Brown. You can listen to the podcast each week on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. I look forward to talking to you next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you and good night. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.